In the 90s, genre television experienced a golden age, headlined by shows such as Tales from the Crypt, The X-Files, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The massive popularity of these mature, supernaturally-themed programs ensured that younger audiences weren't left out. PBS delivered Ghost Rider, NBC offered Eerie Indiana, Fox Kids adapted the popular Goosebumps books, Nickelodeon gave us the iconic generation-defining Are You Afraid of the Dark, and not to be outdone, the Disney Channel gave us a surprisingly dark show that has sadly been overlooked for far too long. And we at The More You Nerd think that in and of itself is so weird. That's right. This week on The More You Nerd, we are talking about the Disney Channel original program, So Weird. Uh, Drew, have you ever seen this show before? Never saw it, never heard of it. When I brought it up to my wife, she was talk- uh, claims that she was telling me about this show when Disney Plus first came out uh, and how uh, interesting it was and how there was a bit of a kerfuffle about some things in Disney Plus's rep- representation of the show. But I'm sure we will get into uh, yes. that as part of our our conversation here. We will. And as listeners uh, who have been listening to The Way Nerd for a very long time know, I'm a big fan of horror, and I'm a big fan of young adult and teen horror, especially shows from the 90s. And while I was going back and forth with Drew about what to do for this week's episode, I was kind of thinking to myself, well, it's either between Eerie Indiana and So Weird. And I had happened pre-quarantine to pick up a couple of magazines, uh, kind of anticipating that my job would be uh, temporarily shut down. And the first thing I opened when I was just sitting to read last week was a four-page uh, spread on So Weird. So I was like, well, <laughs> destiny's knocking, so I'm yeah, not really going to answer. <laughs> so uh, So Weird debuted on the Disney Channel on January 18th, 1999 as a mid-season replacement, highlighting the adventures of Fiona Fee Phillips, a 14-year-old enamored by the paranormal, who detailed her encounters on her blog slash message board slash search engine Fee's So Weird webpage while she toured the country with her rock star mom with her brother and her brother's best friend. Her brother's so, best friend, who's also the son of the chief roadie and yes. the band manager. Yeah. Um, this this is one of the first shows that I remember seeing, you know, as far as a kid show, actively seeing someone like blog and have a personal web page. And, and this being 1999, this is about the time you'd see stuff like this or freaky links and, and, and the like. But as as much as they kind of get some things right, because a lot of it looks like a GeoCities website. The idea that one person's webpage can do all of that is hilarious to me. Well, and, and and part of it is predicated on the idea that her website is popular or people read it and submit to it because she posts, makes posts and then people reach out to her about it. I will say we watched a number of episodes, one of them being the pilot and, and a number of other episodes from the first and second season. And the pilot's representation of that webpage was real bad. 
like super <laughs> animated giphy because her brother got a hold of her computer and submitted yes. something. But it got much better just a few episodes later. Well, and and there is uh, a little bit of a reason for that. So uh, due to the show's minuscule budget, So Weird relied on its writing when it couldn't lean on the special effects they could afford. So many of the episodes are grounded uh, around the supernatural craziness with real human drama, as well as providing an interesting angle for the more otherworldly facets of the show. Nearly all the creatures and the adventures of the week were based on real life folk tales, cryptids and conspiracies, which inspired a whole generation of nerdy kids to seek out the facts behind the fiction. I've talked to a lot of people through the years who also watched this show and got interested in certain things because they saw it on so weird because they used real cases. The pilot opens up with a real life disaster that happened that inspired the ghost story they wrote about. There are a number of things just in my, my research. And I know yours goes kind of above and beyond what I was able to put together uh, that some of the, the things that they talk about, like there is a will of the wisp that happens in this series that apparently pops up a few more times than the, than the episodes we watched, but that's an actual known entity that is referenced in, in old uh, Irish folklore. Yeah. Uh, every, I think every single one of these were pretty much something that was from folklore. And, and this is something that shows later would take, I mean, supernatural started off doing just folklore and urban legends before it became, a sprawling melodrama with angels and demons and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so while the show was created by uh, Tom J. Assel, who was the one who wrote the pilot, it was executive producers, John Cooksey and Allie Marie Matheson, who's the daughter of iconic horror author, Richard Matheson. They saw the pilot and helped craft the show into something that aimed at the preteen demographic without condescension. So they understood that kids needed to engage in subject matter a lot of shows wouldn't touch on. So one of the main through threads in, in the show was dealing with the grief of uh, Fee and Jack's father, who had passed before the show begins. That loss is often dealt with through the first two seasons, and so weird additionally tackled themes such as divorce, disease, or how technology can be dangerous, and packaged them around supernatural elements as a delivery system to talk about weightier subjects, much like the more mature Buffy the Vampire Slayer did. It does remind me of Buffy quite a bit in the way that a lot of it is set up. Yeah, and and this is something that we'll, we'll get into, but I I kept thinking, man, if I if I was you know talking to somebody who had a kid who may not be quite old enough for Buffy, so weird is a good like primer. Yeah, and and because this would have been on now, Buffy would have been on. A, a, 97 i think 97 uh so this this definitely could have drawn some inspiration from buffy i watching this show it it doesn't necessarily feel like a disney show that is my the biggest takeaway and almost everyone who looks back on the show is like i can't believe this show aired on disney and there are some episodes that directly deal with like some things that i i'm surprised what they got away with and then hearing what they wanted to get away with i'm i'm shocked that disney didn't fire them then and there well i mean case in point is that the the main character of fee is a normal looking teenage girl she's not some super skinny hyper blonde 
singer dancer person that you expect oh, to see. Oh, you mean the line. person they replaced her with? <laughs> oh, I was going to lead you into that with a fun little segue, but but so yeah, I agree. Everyone on that show and I so the whole thing is that they're touring around the country with their their uh mom who was a a rock star making a comeback. Oh, there is and some mom rock in this show. <laughs> there is, but honestly like a lot of the music aspects, like even when they make jokes, I'm like, man, that they Someone someone has been in a band before because a lot of that aspects where she's she's on a kind of a comeback tour and she's not automatically playing in these big places. I mean, she's playing at fairs and doing these random side gigs on the pier like that's what people who have I wouldn't say aged out, but who have kind of been sidelined for a little bit. That's what they do to get back into the game. So, well, I was really surprised i'm actually most surprised they had a tour bus well yeah well the mom is played by Mackenzie phillips who is yes uh, a child of the the people from uh oh what was the i had it called up just a second ago the mom not the mamas and the papas um 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 I'm trying to remember who you are. Yeah, it is the Mamas and the Papas. Uh, she was she's the daughter of John Phillips of the Mamas and the yes, Papas. Yes, and uh, there is some dark history there. Well, she is the half sister of Bijou Phillips, which is interesting. Yes, and, and and she was in American Graffiti. That was kind of her big debut. Yeah, and and she she has had some issues with drugs and alcohol. Uh, and some issues with her her family. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, so with that said, clearly <laughs> there is, and and that's the thing that the stuff that rings true. It's almost like it is also weird that they called this family the Phillips family, and she's Mackenzie Phillips in real life. I thought I thought that too. Uh, I mean. It's a little, it's a little weird, uh, but also, you know, I don't, obviously they're not drawing on that. She didn't write the episodes or anything like that. Right. I think. But it's, it's interesting that they could draw on some of that experience. They, and, uh, absolutely. And so to get back to uh, the, the, the show itself, it delivered mostly self-contained episodes so a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, they do a good job of sort of developing these characters over time, but there are very few arcs. They slowly began putting out hints of a developing mythology, but unfortunately, uh, the show star, uh, Cara Delizia, wanted to move on to do other things as the second season came to an end. No one is 100% sure what exactly happened, though. Some theorize, mostly fans, that it was a line given to save face to the actress, while others simply maintain that Delizia wanted to move on. Uh, with her, Cooksey and Matheson also exited, as, and so did most of the show's dark and dramatic content, as Disney wanted to go in a different direction. This is around the time that they were debuting uh, Lizzie McGuire and... Uh, even Stevens had just started airing. So this was the kind of content they wanted. And so weird did not fit in with that. Um, so they, they basically reshot the season finale to tie up some loose ends so that everyone can move on. And I, I tie up is a very loose term because they, they don't, but <laughs> they give you enough. And then the, uh, the seasons, the show's third and final season focused on fees friend, Annie uh, played by 
Alex Johnson, who would go on to star in a popular show called Instant Star about a teenage rock star who basically did the same thing without the supernatural element. <laughs> uh, yeah, she has become kind of a musician in her own right as well. Didn't they move into a house at that point and stopped going I on the road? I think so. I actually have not gone back to watch the third season. We did not watch any third season episodes for this uh, particular outing. I kind of wanted to just kind of get the pure, so, real, so weird experience. And I know people, the, the show does still have its fans. Uh, you know, some were upset with the more bubbly family fair as a perceived dip in quality. And others still enjoyed the show perfectly fine. It's not that it was god awful. It was just, it was such a a hard right from where they were going before. Um, so Disney ceased production on So Weird after 65 episodes. And for nearly two decades, this show was not rerun or available in any legal capacity until November of 2019 with the launch of Disney Plus. Remobilizing its niche, but extremely dedicated fan base. A lot of information that I've gleaned for this episode didn't just come from the Room Morgue article or Wikipedia. It came from the So Weird online community forum, which has... Basically anything that you want to go. They actually even house a So Weird podcast, which has a ton of interviews with people. So if you are a fan or become a fan of So Weird, head over there. I'm sure they'd love to hear from new people. It's probably been a while. And even though it's still active, but this is one of those kind of fandoms where it's not <laughs> like Buffy and Firefly, where you have this thing take on a life of its own. This is the kind of niche where like you have some dedicated fans and they don't get much else. They don't get comics or extra books or a movie like they or, have or DVDs <laughs> or DVDs at all. And I mean, the, the producers were asked for years about this stuff and they were basically just like right to Disney. Disney just did not touch this until D plus came out. I mean, I wonder if because it, it's it's classified as an American Canadian TV series. I wonder if there were some rights issues it's possible they did a lot of canadian stuff at the time flash forward was on there that was filmed in canada oh, yeah that's true so it's it's very possible a lot of t uh, television programs were filmed up there i mean top of show are you afraid of dark canadian show so i think i think there must be uh some production they may yeah. have had something they, with they don't shoot anything in canada anymore what happened to that shooting in canada huh <laughs> you ever heard of the CW? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm obviously making a very, a very obvious oh, okay. joke. I was, I was like, there's an entire network that runs out of Canada, basically. Several entire networks. Half, uh, almost all of sci-fi channel stuff is shot in Canada. CW shot in Canada. It's all One thing I thought was neat, because Disney does, does, and especially at the time, had this reputation of 65 episodes and done. I think until like Hannah Montana, I think was the first one to kind of break that for a while. And there was an interview with a producer who kind of gave a little inkling on that. Cause I was always curious why they were like three seasons max at Disney channel. And he said that 65 episodes divided by five days per week equals 13 weeks of shows when they're run daily. That way they can run the whole series and even four times a year and fill up a half hour every day at no additional expense. That is very interesting because I've heard the kind of not one and done, but like you age out pretty quickly. Right. A lot of shows did that. Jet Jackson, this show, uh, even Stevens and uh, even the very, very popular is McGuire. I mean, got a, it got a movie, but I mean, I, I if anyone was going to keep going, I thought that would be the one. Hmm. 
But uh, let's let's get started. Let's talk about this this show. Uh, let's start off with uh, what were your general impressions, Drew? Since you have never seen so weird, uh, given this is a a a kind of a preteen tween supernatural show. About five minutes into the first episode, I believe I texted you, "Man, this is a show for you, Miles." <laughs> It it definitely is. I mean, I remember this show when it came out, and I was I was into it. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's it stars teenagers. They go on adventures. They're literally on a tour bus with their professional musician mom. All this stuff that we have have talked about already, but also. Again, I mentioned that it does not necessarily feel like a, what I consider a Disney show because I, I compare it to stuff like Even Stevens and, and the things that I know from around the same time. And, well, there's a drowned kid in this first episode, huh? Well, in there. She gives you the, 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 um, the SS Eastland disaster, which happened on July 24th, 1915, is – Fee narrates this at the beginning of the first episode and talks about 800 people dying and drowning families, women and children. And I was just thinking to myself, damn, <laughs> like yeah, it's... this was on the Disney channel and I'm, I needed to check and see what time of day it aired because I remember seeing it at least in some rerun version while it was on air during the day. But I could see this as like a seven thirty, eight o'clock PM show and be like, all right, that makes more sense. I am glad between the pilot and the subsequent episodes that they changed the sets on the tour bus because that pilot, that tour bus had to be huge. <laughs> that that tour bus is the, the logistics of it is, is weird because Fee's room is set up like a bedroom in a house. Yes. And I, I've, I have been on quite a few tour buses and there are some that give you that element. I do I mean, we don't necessarily know how popular her mom was beforehand. I'm guessing she had to be like corn level. <laughs> there are six people living on that bus. And and they're living they're 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 living okay. They're doing all right. Um, they're doing all right in that bus. Uh, so let's get into some of the so so we've got the family reunion episode, the first one we watched about the the SS Eastland disaster right before the Great Chicago Fire. They they do a lot to frame this this series, this episode about being a history lesson. And this is one of those things that I liked a lot. You have a character that you make a presumption about what he looks like. This big giant head roadie dude, whose literal nickname as he is credited in the credits is Squatch <laughs> as in I Sasquatch. Love I love it. Uh, who is actually who's who's the it turns out to be the dad of one of the other characters and uh the the kind of sidekick character clue who is played by eric von detten who was apparently a pretty big disney channel kid in other things yeah i, I believe he was in brink I, I my my wife knew who he was based, based on the name he so. was he was very popular at the time uh, he was and, also, and he's, several years before this, the voice of Sid, the uh, the evil kid in uh, Toy Story. So, And and several years after. Yeah, reprising that role in Toy Story 3, which is uh, pretty good. But uh, Yeah, um, and yeah, he was definitely kind of your typical teen beat heartthrob looking guy. He was playing kind of a surfer. He, he always said, dude, in a overtly dorky way. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, if, if this show was on the CW, which sometimes the writing is mature enough for it to be, I would have put him as a stoner. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. His character is a little more susceptible to believing Fee about uh, the supernatural and odds going goings on while her brother is on the opposite end, a complete skeptic. So you have kind of every part of the spectrum uh, represented here, which I like. I like that not everyone's searching for ghosts and not everyone believes Fee. Fee is pretty much always the one person who is looking into these things and experiences them. Yeah. And and let's get into to Jack Phillips, Fee's brother, who is kind of he's he's the lovable jerk brother that he he is they do a good job making him both lovable and a jerk they also do a pretty good job of preventing him from ever actually seeing the super weird thing that's going on so that he can remain skeptical throughout the entirety of the show (laughs) they do and uh, with this one you know fee's hearing voices in a concert hall that her mom is about to play in and so she's she's investigating this. She hears a boy crying. And so she's looking into the history of this place and trying to figure things out. Um, this episode was written by the series creator, Tom J. Assel, and um, directed by Sean Levy, who did the Night at the Museum movies and the upcoming remake of Starman. Huh. Uh, there's a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people who worked on some pretty crazy things working on this show. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> And what follows is basically your standard, I would say, are you afraid of the dark-esque ghost mystery? There's nothing standout in particular in terms of how the plot unfolds to me. However, I will say, and as I said at the top of the show, what they were able to do with their limited special effects, there's a scene where Fee is investigating this kid. She's found out who he is. She sees his picture on one of the old photos of the SS Eastland. And does a weird version of what would what we know as a zoom. <laughs> that 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 part does play very very weird, but there's a great bit of the still photo doing the turning and looking <gasps> to the viewer and then the water starting to pour out of the screen. I thought it was just a really well done thing and something I was not expecting coming out of a Disney show. They destroyed that poor PowerBook G3. <laughs> They they did. I know. I, I know what that that laptop is is a classic look for me. I love the look of that thing. Oh, and then, uh, I was watching this with my girlfriend. She was actively angry about how expensive that laptop would have been at the time. I mean, yeah, you know, that one would have been. And and then the rest of the the rest of the series, she got this chunky, huge other laptop. Yeah. It's like, oh no. Um, but I, I did think that little uh, jump scare was pretty solid for a Disney show. I mean, they took a, 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 I would say, a typical Hollywood horror scare and did a pretty solid job for a show aimed at tweens. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, let's move on to the next episode because this one is less horror jump scare and and this is yes. uh, this is really where the x-files comparisons come in for me because oh the rest of the episodes we watch i feel like are very much more x-filesy yeah but but in, in that you know x-files especially in the early seasons they would have one supernatural ghost they'd have one supernatural alien they'd have one yep. supernatural monster they'd have blah 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 and this one is is the kind of 
this one is not designed to scare you. This was not a scary episode. It was just a, a an odd one. No, it's it's actually a pretty fun one. The the subject matter is astral projection. It's uh, the fifth episode of the first season called Escape. It was written by Doug Jung, who also wrote Star Trek Beyond and the Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, The director was Charles Wilkinson, who worked on the Highlander TV show. And what I liked about this is something we touched on. This is where you start seeing some of these themes being discussed. And this one's more of a common thing in a lot of young adult shows. The miscommunication between a child and the parents and that kind of generation gap. And the child feeling trapped, or not the child, but the teenager feeling trapped and looking for an escape. Hence the name of the episode. And in in this instance, it's using astral projection, which I thought was a really cool way instead of using like, oh, they got into a cult or drugs or alcohol. Like this is this is the thing they they were doing. And it's a pretty, pretty fun episode. Yeah. They got into leaving their body in wherever it was while they walked around in a astral projected form not saying anything and just staring creepily with big eyes at people who don't seem to notice that she's not saying anything back. Oh, also I had a problem with the fact that all she wanted to do was go to the carnival. Like you can go anywhere in the world, but you're just going to go keep checking out this one local carnival. Well, I mean, what else are you going to do in the middle of the day? Why is the carnival that packed with people during the middle of a school day is another (laughs) there there is that i also and i I had texted this to you i had deep issues because uh drew texted me it was he was like i can't believe fees being so anti-astral projection that's not exactly (laughs) what he said but that's the pg version of it (laughs) and i said well so my problem is this girl is like, oh, well, I, I fall asleep at bus stops. And that just does not seem safe at well, all. To I, me. And again, that that is honestly what what Fee is trying to get to with all of this is that it's cool that you could astral project. Just do it somewhere safely. Uh, but because she's been astral projecting in the middle of class and it seems like she's fallen asleep in class and her grades are slipping, which is disappointing her super strict parents. And. Apparently she'll go to a bus stop and sit there and ask to project from a bench and then somebody, but somebody always wakes me up. And that kind of stuff is really where it feels like if they were on the WB or the CW or UPN, they might've gone a little darker with that aspect of it. Yes. And, and then obviously the B plot is both clue and Jack are in love with this girl and trying to, basically just get a word out of her edgewise because <laughs> every single time they see her, she's astral projecting and sort of like, Oh, follow me. And that is one of the funniest things about this is that they both are so clueless and dumb. I love it. Th- that I they, love it so much. they talk so much and they're trying to one up each other so much that, you know, me in 2020 notices th- this girl hasn't said anything. And it takes them talking to Fee about it for them to realize she didn't say anything to them the entire time they were there. She does actually speak in the episode. We meet we meet her uh, in in real life, not just in the astral projected form. And at the end of the episode, everything kind of wraps up real nice. And she starts to open up to her parents and it becomes a whole thing. And honestly, that's the bit that that they have a a cool concept. But the execution on the storyline wasn't the strongest for me. But I, 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 I don't disagree. I, as much as I love this show, there, there are some execution issues. And, and part of it is, you know, you're working for Disney. And from what I have read about the production of the show, it's not that it was a nightmare, but they did get a lot of pushback on some of the subject matter. 
uh, for example, one of the things they wanted to invest it, not investigate, but to dive into was the fact that Molly, the, the mother is a recovering alcoholic. And it's something they kind of hint at when they talk about her past, about mistakes she made when she was younger and all these problems. And maybe there's a reason that her career kind of fell apart to begin with, but they never quite spell it out. They had written for production an episode about that that it's the only episode where Disney flat out nixed it. They said, we do not want to talk about this. We don't want, and they said, we don't want an, uh, um, a, an issues episode. And I was like, well, there's a lot of issues episodes in this show. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it's, it's sort of like looking at the comics code back in the, back in the fifties and sixties and beyond with the comics code, you couldn't have a reference to, vampires so you just had a character that sucked energy out of people instead of sucking blood out of people and it was effectively the same thing just different enough to not trigger the the comics code folks and and some of these episodes do feel like that they feel their whole 24 minutes they they really pack a lot into it and other ones do feel like they they didn't quite like this one really kind of get the full effect that they could have gotten, especially the issue with the parents. I think that could have been a better central theme earlier in the show and they could have done a better job because I think they were trying to do something really good about trying to talk to your parents and kind of avoid those really awkward teenage years. Yeah. Uh, And Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I'm ready to talk about an episode that I think tackles this better but also fails its principal guest character in that they don't really ever give you enough backstory on this kid until you talking about James way later. And that is the 10th episode of the first season Tulpa. Uh, Yeah. This is one you were really excited about. You're like Tulpas. (laughs) They got Tulpas in here. So Tulpas are a really fascinating thing to look into. I can't remember what show it was that our former co-host Mike told us to listen to about tulpas one time but there's a podcast that goes into some of the the tulpas culture that exists and it's it's wild yeah it is really wild (laughs) and this episode is is interesting and and i will say the the actor who plays young james has continued to work he's probably the most working of all the folks that have been in the in this show at least of the the teenagers but uh He's, he's a little bit younger, so Sophie and Jack and Clue are playing basketball, and they need a fourth. And they uh, they come across this kid near the, the basketball court on this playground where he seems to be hiding, maybe hiding out, don't really know, it's kind of weird, uh, named James, who they invite to play, and he's like, yeah, I'll play. And then he kind of vacillates between super nice and friendly and, get away from me! Uh, yeah, uh. It's... And this one's also written by the series creator. And I feel like the series creator does a really good job crafting an episode. I think some of the character moments they could use a little editing on. And I'm not trying to, to, to bash anyone's any, anyone's work here. He does a great job. But some of this, some of this could have used a little, a little smoothing. And especially with the character James, because he flip-flops so much, we, the viewer are equally confused as Fee and Jack and Clue. And I feel like, yes, we get some hints that something else is going on because basically he gets mad and throws the basketball into the street. Fee goes to get it, but she runs in front of a car because she doesn't look both ways for some reason. (laughs) And she gets psychically pushed aside out of harm's way. 
and both the car and the ball are long gone. Like the guy doesn't bother stopping after he almost hit a teenager. Well, she looked like she deserved it running into the street like that. I mean, she's chasing the ball, you know, it's, it, it happens. But, so, but, but again, this is one of those things where there's kind of a little bit of a bait and switch because we talk about family reunion. We talk about escape as fee narrating the beginning of what is ultimately going to be the thing that pops up in this episode. Yes. And in this episode, Fee talks about psychokinesis, uh, or sometimes referred to as telekinesis, basically being able to move things with your mind. And that is the the avenue that she goes down for a long part of this episode and trying to figure out, because she knows that she didn't just jump out of the way and leap 10 feet into the air and land on her arm and, and all of that. She knows she got pulled, but what pulled her? So is, did James use telekinesis, psychokinesis to, to pull her or is, and, and it takes a good bit of the episode before, like we see from James's perspective that that's not what's going on, but it takes the main characters a little bit longer to get there, to find out about the tulpa, the thing that is ultimately what's going on here. And I really liked that. I liked that even someone like fee who is into this stuff she's on the right track but we we actually get to go a little bit on a research journey with her to kind of figure out well no there's something else because the the this this episode also apparently has a second title which is pk so i think they were kind of using them both interchangeably in the same fashion and i really liked that fee Fee is still 14. She doesn't know everything about the paranormal and weird. She's still learning stuff. And I really liked seeing that where she was convinced she's on the right track. You know, she, it's definitely something that involves the mind, but she's not quite there yet. And this kind of, I feel like gives her another definition in her encyclopedia of weird. Should we define what a tulpa is? I feel like we've talked about tulpas and that's one of those, like everybody knows what a werewolf is. Everybody knows what a vampire is. We can we can glean what astral projection is. Should we talk about a tulpa? Yeah, I mean it's it, it, tulpas are a rabbit hole. They really, really are. I'm going I'm going to dis- to try to describe a tulpa in the most like simple the, terms. Like uh, the, yeah, yeah. Explain to me like I'm five. Like like if you're if you're picking up a book on tulpas and you open up, not look at the back, but open up to the celebrity quote talking about tulpas uh basically a a tulpa is a being created through like emotional will if that makes sense it's like if your imaginary friend came to life and was cool at first but the longer it was there the more independent and potentially way worse it got yeah, and there's also you have to define uh, is someone who has a tulpa against someone who has been uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, clinically defined as schizophrenic because schizophrenia is a genetic disease where you can't tell what's real and what isn't, but a tulpa is a sentient psychological construct that is carefully produced. Like you can't ignore schizophrenic hallucinations, but you can. I guess feasibly uh, ignore a tulpa it's there are a whole this is a whole other realm of stuff we could have an entire podcast (laughs) 
of 300 episodes on Tulpas alone. It's it is a rabbit hole. I encourage you getting into it sometime. There there is there is like I said there I got to find that podcast. I'll put it on our our Twitter because it it it's a wild ride, but it's definitely it's a whole other thing. I'm 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 genuinely surprised that a Disney Channel original television show went into Tulpas. Yes, indeed. Um but again, James, the reason we find out way late in the episode that James is an orphan and spent a lot of time in foster homes before his grandparents took him in. Yeah, and, that, and that, that line bothers me a lot. <laughs> but again, it, it, the kid delivers it. I like the, I like the actor who plays James. Good. I think he, he pulls it off really well. It's just, I, maybe that's the limit of 24 his, minutes, but yeah, and his story doesn't quite add up. And, and that's where the, everything kind of falls apart for me is when he talks about being lonely, that part I get, cause that's the, that's the theme of this episode is just loneliness and using a tulpa as a way to deliver that theme. I really liked that aspect a lot. Again, they do a really good job of putting in these themes for preteens and delivering it in a nice supernatural package and like you said, Drew, the kid pulls it off. Like as as much as I kind of tilted my head a little bit when he said, "Oh yeah, I bounced around in foster houses before my grandparents decided to pick me up." Like, I like, <laughs> that still you, bugs me. Yeah, yeah, that still bugs me. But I still, the, like you said, the kid sold it, and you could tell this is a lonely kid. And creating a tulpa, creating an imaginary friend, was his the one thing he could do. And for a while, things were really good. Until eventually the Tulpa gained its own control. And and that's where you see him. The reason he gets aggro is he's trying to protect other people from getting hurt by this very controlling, very jealous Tulpa that has basically garnered a will of its own. Yes. And and it's a it's a it's a really fun episode. It wraps up nicely. It's not very spooky. Uh, this is definitely one you could show the kids. Um a, a pretty good use of its limited special effects. There's some weird camera work involved in a, in the scene where like everything's supposed to be blowing and they do this weird slow-mo. <laughs> and I guarantee if they had, if they had just a little bit extra money, we would have seen the actual Tulpa running around <laughs> from James's perspective, but we never yeah. see that because, you know, we see a couple of kids drawings, which is good enough. I, I like that. It, it adds more to the theater of the mind. I, they do a really good job with the budget. Even when it looks silly, I'm like, you know what? Y'all tried. And I appreciate that y'all tried. Uh, so let's move on to the what is the season finale of season one, Will the Wisp, uh, which is like Drew mentioned earlier, is a real folk legend. It was written by Kevin Mur Murphy, who wrote on the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids television show, as well as Weird Science television adaptation, and Caprica. <laughs> so Another what filmed I really, in Canada series, Caprica. <laughs> yes, and what I liked about this episode, and one of the reasons I, I included this one in particular, because there's a couple episodes I kind of wanted to talk about because it fit in with the themes, but I also wanted to revisit and give Drew some of the mythology aspects that were present in this show in the, in the first couple episodes, we do get hints that, you know, the dad is a prevailing theme in their lives. And this is the first time where we get a really massive hint about her father's death. And the fact that whatever fee is doing is being noticed in the supernatural realm. 
And th- I, I think as a season finale, that's a really good way to end season because everything has been very standalone there's a couple through threads they do lines pick up here and there and this episode does a really good job of kind of bringing it all together and i i really really enjoyed that uh they are basically going to look at these these lights these uh is it mesa lights the marfa lights marfa lights yeah the ghost lights the ghost lights and again i love they use these these very specific local legends and which again, Jack, they can use these very specific local legends because they're on a tour bus. It's a great, it's a great uh, storytelling mechanism because it's unlike Buffy where everything comes to, to Sunnydale. They're going everywhere else. It's, it's kind of the inverse. It's, it's nice. That's one of those things that I like about the show a lot is that they have the perfect excuse to introduce all of these things every week. And it's a lot of fun because, again, th- like going to a place like this is some something someone on a comeback tour is going to be trying to do. They're going to hit up some of these bigger fairs to get their just to get their name back out there. And and this is what upcoming people do. I I saw John Mayer at a fair just like this <laughs> when he <laughs> first started out, and and now he's well John Mayer. So th- this is a very real thing that that both starting and kind of comeback musicians do and so i do appreciate that a lot but they're going to look for these lights and jack kind of gets distracted goes off on his own and comes across this he actually sees a light and it's kind of moving along with him and we flash back to clue and fee looking for him we see this giant flash in the middle of the woods Yeah, I was waiting for you just to, to pick up on that. <laughs> <laughs> and and basically then all of a sudden they see Jack come back and he's Jack, but he's smiling and laughing and acting really weird and strange and can't scratch his back and there's a whole bunch of other stuff and using a a, a very expensive vocabulary as well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh dipping in and out of an accent that he's never had before. Uh, as it turns out that Jack has encountered a Will of the Wisp, the old Celtic uh the Celtic I don't know if they're related to fairies, I don't know enough about that, but uh they, the the Celtic uh they're, they're folk legends. Yeah, the folk legend of the Will of the Wisp that has taken over Jack to take his place and Fee can tell that it's not him, and she is about to go run and tell mom uh, that Jack's been taken over by uh, by Irish folklore. <laughs> when he basically freezes time, and they're in this nexus that looks way too much like uh, old Greg's home. Yeah, they, 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 well, I mean, it is a nexus to the supernatural, so old Greg might be there, uh, but <laughs> it's also like gr- glowing green and everything. It is literally a black sound stage with a glowing, yes. with, it, with it, green it lights on a rock. <laughs> it, 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 every time you've seen a sitcom use kind of a dream world kind of thing, this is ex- the exact same thing. But I think they do a lot with what they have. I think Patrick Lewis does or Patrick Levis does a very, very good job kind of playing the role of Jack and this Will-O-Wisp kind of jumping in and out of the character. And yeah, sometimes doing accent successfully, sometimes not. 
but the, the the manic performance he gives is honestly really really good i i liked it i i was into it honestly i can make fun of his his accent all i want but he's in and out and back and forth and and playing a character playing his character which which he does pretty well uh in a couple of in a couple of spots and and you find out that he wants to take over jack's life uh and that uh fee can stop him but only if he guesses uh or she guesses his real name like you know all old like (laughs) old fairy tales and it's not rumpelstiltskin (laughs) and uh, i I like that they open up with that (laughs) I do really enjoy that not only does because we'll skip around because we've got several more episodes to talk about. uh, I do enjoy that the way she figures it out is this hangman game that they are are (laughs) talking about earlier in the episode that Jack that Jack actually programmed and fee just programs to cycle through letter by letter until it gets to to the end. But then there's the stinger. The mm-hmm. the oh well if you if you don't guess my name I'll let you see your dad which is one stinger number one to which yeah. she very rightly realizes that well if that happens she's still gonna lose her brother so she says no to that and stinger two that he was pr- trying to protect her her in particular from other forces from the the other side that there's a what do you think that you think that i chose you randomly no that that, whole speech is fantastic it's it's great it's really really great that's what made this one of the stand up stand out episodes for me is is not only does it start to really establish the so weird mythology but it does so in a way that you feel like everything's built up. They show you a couple clips from episodes we actually watched of confrontations between Jack and Fee because he's trying to understand, well, you guys are always fighting. Why, why do you care? He doesn't understand human sibling relationships. And I, I like that we get this really deep dive into the characters as well as saying, hey, yeah, all the supernatural stuff you've been poking around the country, it's not going unnoticed. And that's basically all he says. But the the fact that he says it, it starts to build this idea in your head, okay, something's bubbling. And having read what was supposed to happen uh, longer down the line, this character does return in an, a second season episode called Destiny uh, to a degree and was supposed to play more of a prominent character in season three. And I'm I'm really bummed that we, we will never get the actual season three they had planned because it, it sounded pretty insane. But the fact that they were just laying this out there and they did come back to it just says to me, like, man, they had they had they were really going for something that you didn't see a lot, especially in a show on the Disney Channel that was as mature as it was. Yeah. And that the dad matters in all of this. That the the, the dad yeah, is, it, is something. Because Fee's whole thing, and, and this this becomes much more of a subject in the season two finale, is Fee was three years old when she lost her dad. So she's always felt there's this hole here, but everyone else has memories and everyone else still talks about him. It's not that she's walking around kind of moping the entire time, but there is this part of her supernatural obsession is spearheaded by like wanting to contact her dad, you know, wanting to see what happened to him because that's opened up her what happens when we die and which which is interesting when you compare that to jack and that's honestly one of the most going all the way back to the pilot episode you know 
Jack being very like dad's when you're, gone that's when you're it. when you're dead you're dead that's it and and fee's reaction being how dare you say that how could you think that and his response being i think about him too yes it's like that's really compelling stuff going on it, in here it is i mean again it's stuff there there is some cheesy writing in this show a lot of it but they knew what they were writing for, and it's ne- like I said at the top of the, the episode, it's never condescending, and that's what I really appreciate about this show. They don't, they don't, sp- even when we like start the show, they don't spell everything out. They give you all the context clues you need, and maybe it's a little more obvious than a show on the WB might be, but they do a really good job of presenting a lot of information without just flat out, you know, giving you this show is about this. <laughs> They're on the road. You know, they do it. They just do a really good job kind of assuming their audience is smarter than most shows do. And I really like that. And this actually will bring us into our next episode, uh, Banshee, which is uh, season two, episode 11, written by John Cooksey and Ali Marie Matheson, the executive producers, and directed by John Poser, who directed episodes of Transformers Beast Wars. Which is an animated series, so yes, very different. Um, uh, th- but it just, it's just fun seeing the kind of different people who have worked on this show. Yeah, well, that's one of the funny things is that uh, the the business, the band manager from the pilot episode is not the same band manager from the rest of the show. They recast that character. But, yeah. the, but the character in the pilot was the doctor on Stargate SG-1, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> yes, there, there's a lot of... Um, different science fiction connections in this show as far as guest stars and stuff there was a lot of a lot of star trek oh especially Star Trek. yeah that that makes perfect sense <laughs> so but uh in so so banshee that we are visiting uh we are visiting old uh old molly phillips's ma and da uh in uh in wherever they are that's not ireland but <laughs> Is somewhere in America, but everything's very Irish, and I, 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 I did not that. like. I didn't like this episode. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, I, I well, so again, I like this episode for, and and the reason I chose it is for the mythology stuff that it adds later in the episode. However, I do think there there is some silly stuff in this, and uh, the look at me and I'm Irish part is a little, a little heavy handed. Let's let's put it that way, especially yeah. when when Molly starts using an Irish accent every single time she talks to her dad. Well, she just very very like LA da. LA accent da like okay I get it I get it I get what we're doing I get what we're doing here. It's it was just the other side of that is that there were some really interesting things going on with with Molly the mom. And her dad and their relationship. Yes. But ultimately, they didn't go far enough to to make either of them really. It was toothless. It was toothless. But also keep in mind, well, I don't. I don't know how toothless. It, well, okay. So I'm. St- I, I am continually trying to keep this perspective that it's a Disney Channel show. It airs on 7 p.m. So it's it's basically prime time for, for for the audience. It's written. I think it would be toothless, possibly on any other show. But compared also to its peers, compared to your Goosebumps, your Are Afraid of the Dark, Erie, Indiana, uh, uh, Ghost Rider, 
this this still i think delivered a compelling emotional scene especially between the dad and molly i don't know how you could know what was in me heart when i showed it to you so rarely I, yeah, but again, I mean, it's like, very I, after I, school, especially. But the, but I'm, I'm more talking about their conflict throughout the episode, uh, and that stuff and, was good. That that like the the tension between those two characters was I great was and interesting and awkward and all the things it's supposed to be. It's just, but you know, they, it's going to end up with her writing a song. It's got to. I know, I know. And they mom rocked. The, they mom rocked it, and there it was. You know what? I really dig this like post little affair band she's got. <laughs> but uh, I, anyway. I really, I, I really did like that that bit a lot. But the so the the whole crux of the story is Fee walks in because she hears the cry of the banshee, and she walks in on this ghostly form floating above her grandfather. She flips out. So obviously everyone's. You know, Ooh, a little get out of here, Fee. I'm an Irish ghost. Well, what's weird is this is also the first time in the episodes that we watch that we see someone directly not treat her like she doesn't know what's going on because her grandma tells her about the, the, the her family's bloodline has been cursed by banshees forever and ever and ever. And so, so good job. <laughs> so I mean, I, I I liked that bit, and it like banshees are a really interesting subject matter as far as as folk legends go and at one point you know she and jack go out to look for the banshee and she comes across it and she gets in this <laughs> debate with the banshee basically on whether or not her grandfather should die because banshees are usually harbingers of death and she's like you already took my dad when i was three i, I actually really like that a lot she's she's just shouting into the void with this this banshee next to her kind of acting as the the messenger and she's like you took my dad when, when i was three was that not enough and the banshee turns to her and she basically says we didn't do that that wasn't <laughs> the spirit realm and i'm like okay All so right. this is another another little crumb that's All adding right. to that, that dad mystery and so yes you have this really funny special effects of of some wire work and some green screen and some lights for the banshee but that that morsel about Okay, there's something else going on with the the dad. Like what what happened? What killed him? And I really I liked that. I liked the way they did it. Again, they're just, you know, this is 11 episodes into season 2 and we're getting this this little hint. And again, this is one of those things where that hint's great. If it had paid off with the great third season that didn't exist. And that I mean there there is there is that. Um, we'll, get, we'll 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 and get, we'll get into that. We'll get there. I I, I think that there so, was so this is this is not one of your favorite episodes. Then. <laughs> it's not one of my favorite episodes. It's interesting that we had the Will of the Wisp and then the Banshee, and the, like we watched them back to back. Obviously, there was half a season between these two episodes. It was, you know, I thought, oh, well, this would be a great place for the Will of the Wisp to show back up and be like, hi to tie to tie. No, don't you worry. <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, the the Will of the Wisp does show back up and. They were they had plans for that that character to be basically kind of like a double agent, like it it was working for something worse than. So the whole the whole idea was that Fee is it was destined to stop evil from coming into our universe, but there was supposed to be something worse than that. That the Will of the Wisp kind of worked for. So even though it would eventually start helping Fee a little bit. 
it would eventually betray her. And I would have loved to have seen that. I will get into like the what they wanted for the proper series finale. And I, I mean, like I said, there's just no way if they weren't going to let an episode about alcohol happen. There's no way this is going to happen. Which, but before we get there, which is why it's interesting to me and odd to me that they covered the next episode, which is the 14th episode of season two called fall. So in, in I this. chose fall because while I was looking up for, cause I wanted to get some fan favorites. I wanted to get some stuff that I wanted to see. And one, one post that I came across was how, how this episode of, of so weird traumatized them because it wasn't the ghost aspect. It was the real child death that happened. Not, not like, like happened in real life, but like in the episode, like they show you a, 10 year old falling to his death exactly like like okay it's so they dark. don't they don't want to talk about the mom's problems with alcoholism but they'll they'll drop a kid from a line into a, a quarry or whatever that thing was yeah like come on so so we are at 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 ned who is we've we've talked a little bit about ned uh he is the head roadie for the mom's band he is the father of clue that we've talked about and also the father of carrie who is in the band i think later on because there's a lot of yeah cast- he, he, he he replaces clue there's a lot of cast changes that happen in season two in fact jack is not in this episode uh he has gone to live somewhere else for some reason that we don't see because i didn't watch all these episodes i'm sure there's a reason that all of this is given doesn't matter so we're in ned's hometown and Ned wants to to hang out with one of his friends from from back in the day. And we find out that his friend has has had a recent weird accident fall. He's fine, totally fine. But uh, it, it's interesting because it happened on the day of something that happened when when he and Ned were kids. And there's this this reporter that's trying to get to the bottom of the story and see, Oh, what's really going on with all of this stuff. And, and, uh, and we find out that, that Ned and his friend had, had another friend and they used to go out to this, to this, this Rocky Creek and they would go across these lines in this, in this bucket that they like basically old construction equipment, old mining equipment. And one day they, they, you know, the bucket got stuck and the kid's like, oh, let me go out on the, the lines and climb out. It's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And then he ends up falling to his death. And and I am I am still I am surprised about this because I really would did not think they would like I mean, I get we had a child ghost before and logic dictates the child must have died. But to see. The actual death scene is what really shocked me about this episode. And I could see this being kind of traumatizing to kids who were 11 or 12 or 10. Because because keep in mind, this was like, this was turn of the century. Golly, yeah. it sounds weird saying turn of the century. I, I, mean, I, the year I love saying turn of the century. Are you kidding me? I love I described something to someone else the other day as turn of the century and then realized that I need to say not this one, the last one, <laughs> because I was talking about <laughs> 1902. But uh, but uh, it, this this is something that I think a lot of kids nowadays, kids that are just beyond our age, like the two of us grew up in the the mid to late 80s and early 90s. Correct. 
there was a change in the way that kids played outside that happened at some point between Mm -hmm. 1997 and 2010. And this is something that would not have gone on, I don't think, for... Are you talking about in 1999 or if this show was airing? No, I mean, I mean that, that there are plenty of kids who watched this in 1999 year 2000 that would have had a similar experience, Yes, but there are kids today that would be like, who would let their kids go and do that? I, I, I I know because like, I mean, that was my childhood. We we ran wild and I mean, old textile mills and stuff like that, like places we should not have been in. You know, I mean, like, are, like these kids. We also found that they they cut class to go to this this watering hole, basically, and they're swimming in their full clothes, which bugged the crap out of me. Well, you know, what are you gonna do? I even when I was going swimming, like in like a place like that, I always like I, mean, I at least took my shoes off. So, I mean, keep in mind we're talking about we're talking about Ned here, and this was when Ned was a kid, so this has got to be. The seventies, probably sixties or seventies, yeah. So they definitely would have had their 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 shirts and shoes off. Well, Disney Channel. I I get that. That it still bothered me. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I, but but this is this is the core reason. So the reason I used this episode was to show that you know this this whole episode. I mean, it's a ghost story wrapped up in in telling this t- tragedy about dealing with, you know the death of a friend, especially for kids. I wish that it got a little bit more into that aspect, not just the guilt, but dealing with the death of a friend. Mm-hmm. I think that would have delivered a more powerful episode as opposed to just the shock of seeing the kid fall. Because again, from scrying some so weird fans, you know, that, that, that episode definitely left an impact on a lot of kids. Impact. But, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> but, I do think it would have been better served to really talk about dealing with that. I know this show dealt with grief a lot, but there's di- there is a difference between losing uh, an older person in your life and losing someone the same age of you as you. It, it is it, there is a, especially when you're that young, it's a very very weird experience. I hope that if you're listening, you haven't had to go through it, but it is it is very surreal, and I would. I get why the show didn't do this again. Disney channel, 7 PM Sunday nights. I get it. Yeah. But because they were already pushing that envelope and really because of how the, <laughs> the finale is going, I was, I, I was kind of hoping they would, I still appreciate what they did with this and the fact that they still dealt with it at all. And, and honestly, the way this episode plays out is that, you know, the, 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 friend of Ned's who is tormented by this vision of this kid that, that fell to his death so many years ago that he's, he's, he jumps out of a window because of something and, and he ends up going to at at, almost at, at fees request to like, well, if he's a ghost, he must want something. He must want something. So he takes that knowledge and he, he goes and he, he goes back out to the, to the watering hole, to the the rocky, craggy area where the kid died, and and is climbing up to to the position where he was when when the kid fell, and there's this ghostly apparition of this kid that's, you know, oh, I can make it. Oh, oh, I need, uh, and 
it's really kind of heartbreaking and emotional. It is. Because he, it's very well done because he he reaches out and tries to lose it and to and it loses him again because that's what happened. There's no way to go get around that, and all of a sudden, this reporter that's been trying to to figure out the real story and da 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 oh maybe you let him fall maybe you had something against him da 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 he's suddenly there right behind him and said and says i knew you really loved me and wanted to save me and see that would have been more powerful if he wasn't kind of playing both roles like because the entire time he's egging him on you know you know, maybe you want an evolve. I get maybe not a vengeful ghost, but definitely an angry ghost. Like, why didn't my friend save me? He's confused. He's the ghost of a a ten year old boy. I get that. I still got that mentality. <laughs> yeah. Somehow appears as an overweight uh, trench coat wearing <laughs> reporter. Yes. So there, there, there's, there's that whole can of worms. I'm not going to get into. But then after the whole thing, it's it's almost kind of a dick move. It's like, well, I knew you cared. The I was like, MF or no, you didn't. <laughs> you know, it's, I, 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 it's not that it's it makes it makes the the types of leaps of logic that this type of show works with. But because this show touches being so close to being a little bit more than. I feel like the ambition for the show is higher than a lot of the supernatural preteen shows of its era. That's why I'm being a little critical of it. It's not that I don't enjoy the episode. It's not that I don't think it's well done. It's because it starts to develop this higher bar to set that when it doesn't meet that, I'm like, oh, man, I wish you had done this. So <laughs> while I'm criticizing the, the episode in certain ways, it's not because I don't think – they pulled it off. It's that I, I wish they had pulled it off just a little better because this show is really solid and probably would have turned into an exceptional show as it grew that we just didn't get to see. But again, this is just something that you criticize the things you love. And so while there might be some so weird fans who just logged into this episode and hearing me, you know, nitpick some stuff, it's purely because I am a fan. It could have been done just that slight bit better that would have made it land a little bit more. I understand that. I like this episode. I, I like yeah, that it gave, good. I like that it gave Ned something to do because we haven't seen a ton of that. I know that, again, we watched seven In the episodes, episodes that we watched. I didn't, we, we well, watched Ned's seven so episodes out of 65, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Ned, Ned's very lovable. And yeah, a lot of the episodes I chose didn't include a lot of the ancillary characters. And so when I'm sure it is weird when they pop up, especially in the next episode, Twin, which I think is might have been the only episode that featured uh, the, the 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 replacement for Clue, Carrie, that we watched. Uh, yeah, I think it was. I know he was around because I think Carrie is in the band, I want to say. Yeah, they, they talk about him. But in the episodes that we watched, I think this is the first appears in i'm talking of course about the season two finale twin which was written by josh stolberg who has quite a horror history behind him he wrote the remake for piranha and sortie row as well as the last saw movie and the upcoming saw movie starring chris rock 
And it was directed by Patrick Williams, who worked on many episodes of The Secret World of Alex Mack, which makes sense because the executive producers were basically poached from Nickelodeon because they had a successful run on Rugrat. Interesting. So let's talk about Twin. Um, Which uses that cool, like, twin psychic thing that the X-Files used. Is this the first time that we find out that Fee's dad has a twin? No, I don't think so. Okay. I I think we have, I think, again, because I have not rewatched these episodes in 20 years. I'm going to go back and rewatch the entire show. But for this episode, I just watched what I had made for us. I believe... Uh, the twin sister does pop up a couple more times. So, uh, so the, this episode is is the the baseline Dateline, New York City. I think maybe uh, it so, is New York City because you see the the Statue of Liberty. Okay, I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't paying that close. Or as my my girlfriend pointed out, oh, Twin Towers. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, this would have been year two thousand when this came out. So that's yeah, uh, hmm, pretty pretty close. Uh, so. Uh, Fee's mom is doing pretty well and has gotten a record deal and is going to go on a late night talk show to like a your like a like but legally distinct from a Leno or Letterman or anything like right. that. Right. To to play on the, on the show because again we have to recognize that their mom was famous before. This is her comeback tour that she's been on. This is, she's trying to make it again. Uh, this is not her first time through. Uh, and, and so Fee is, is staying with her dad's twin sister, which was news to me, but apparently not news to fans, uh, or people that have been watching the show. And Fee finds out that, that her aunt is doing some weird, like, muscle gyrations in her hands in the middle of the night. And so she decides for some reason to put a pin in there. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden there's this, this weird ancient runes that her, her aunt is drawing and she needs to, to look into that needs to find out what's going on and what's this. And of course, no one believes her. Everybody's writing her off of what's going on. Da, 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 da. And even her aunt, who's like, Oh, that's, <laughs> that's silly. <laughs> no, we're not going to worry about that. Despite the fact that we find out halfway through the episode that, Oh, you know how twins sometimes have a language? Well, I loved this. This was great. I've read this coming from a mile away and I'm glad oh, that that's actually what it, what it ended up being that, that this was not just the, the, it was the written language that, that, uh, Fee's dad and Fee's aunt came up with when they were kids. And, and it was it, like, it was just, you know, character swaps for that. And, and so she's now decoding these messages of like an address and a time to go meet and what's going on and all of this stuff. And, and it kind of culminates in this, in this, you know, we're going to speed through just because I feel like there's not a ton you can say about this episode. That's not just her aunt writing. It, yeah. Her every, everything that's not about, except for like the little premonitions that Molly starts to get. And we're kind of like, Oh, what's going on here? When Fee, she has this premonition of Fee being in trouble as soon as. And honestly, that was like, has that happened in the in past episodes? That was interesting. I liked that. The, the, again, this 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 episode in particular was really starting to put a lot of threads together and also start to like show. All right, we're going to start pulling everything together, everything that we've been working towards, because yes, Fee's dad is contacting her from from the beyond, 
And we also, Molly starts just right before Fee is supposed to go to this, this meeting place that her that her dad is supposedly writing out through his twin sister, which I, I don't think she has been in a prior episode. I think they had, I think I got confused. They had plans for her. Again, have not watched this show in over 20 years. Yeah, I forgive you. I forgive you. Um, and so basically they, they, they go to this, this skyscraper that, that has somehow has Fiona carved in the language in the concrete of the building, <laughs> which I was like, all right, well, uh, was, who, 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 who ghost wrote that there? I'll, I'll be honest. I was into that. I was into that I, idea. I, I, I was that. into, I was, I was definitely into it. I thought it was great. They go, they all go up. Jack's up there as where Jack's told by the mom to go find Fiona. Yeah, and he's he's not there yet because it's not until uh, Fiona and and the aunt go out onto the the roof and they don't see anything and the aunt walks back through the door which suddenly slams shut. Of locked. course it does. Of course it does. I and, love this so much. And and of course, just then Jack shows up to to try to save uh, try to save Fiona and and of course while this is going on, the mom is molly is playing on television like having this killing it honestly killing it a great job having a very emotional reaction because the song she's singing is about her husband's death which is a whole other thing that we need to talk about oh man Uh, so the 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 line that we're given is that rick died in a car a car wash a car crash if he had died in a car wash, that would have been hilarious. Um, <laughs> he died in a car wreck, and we're we're I think we're given hints. It's not explicitly said here that there there has been more to his death. I mean, we get the hints from the banshee that there was something to it. Basically, I can't remember if the show spells it out for you in this episode or not. I mean, I, I watched the episode, but I don't know if it goes as far into it. Basically, what the whole thing was is her dad was tracking down specifically evil and trying to figure out what was going on on the, the cosmic scale of, and he was supposed to be meeting someone or something in particular. I don't think they ever narrowed it down, but he was supposed to be meeting someone when his crash happened. And I can't remember the, uh, if you go to the so weird online community forum, there is a gigantic interview I think taken from the So Weird podcast interview with uh, John Cooksey, the executive producer, who details everything you've ever wanted to know about the show. It's, I mean, if you have questions, there are answers as far as it was written, <laughs> and it's it's very very cool. And and we're gonna get to what this all sets up because, so the door shuts behind the ant, and Fee is by herself. She turns, you see her scream. And there's this weird, like, three-headed, hooded demon thing coming out in in all of its 90s TV CGI glory. <laughs> it was pretty 90s CGI. I was, honestly, I was kind of I, into it. I was fine I was super effect. into it. It reminded me of, like, watching a lot of this stuff as a kid. And basically, it chucks her off <laughs> the skyscraper. It knocks her off the dang roof. Again, which is pretty violent for the Disney Channel at the time, which is a whole other subject because I do remember Disney Channel used to wear air some really weird stuff in the 80s and early 90s. And then it started to kind of veer off 
And so weird is kind of the last, you know, dark thing that they really put out in terms of their their mainstream programming. And yeah, so so Fee's dangling from the side of this building. She's losing her grip. And somehow her aunt and Jack have gone down and gone to the window that's kind of right below where she's dangling. But they can't reach her eye. And her fingers are slipping. Honestly, that was that, that was the best effect was Jack reaching out of that because it looked like he was they told him like, oh, you need to get back in this building, man. <laughs> like he reaches yeah. out. And honestly, it probably was just like a, a sound stage or something. A sound stage where he was five feet off the ground, but you know. But still, it looked great. It really looked great. Like I, I was really impressed with how good this scene looks in terms of other CP, other shows that have done this, or heck. Even seeing like green screen on things like the room, who can't even make it look like it's outside at all, <laughs> you know, like they do a really convincing of making it look like she's dangling off this building, and 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 her fingers are just slowly kind of falling off the edge, and then she finally slips, and then she's caught, but not by Jack or her aunt, but her father. Ba-ba-bum. It's such a good moment. And, and it's it's interesting because, again, Jack just sees nothing pull her up. He doesn't see it. He doesn't and understand. And they do a good job with the wire work on that shot as well. I mean, yes, it looks a little awkward, but I was pretty impressed with how that looked. So All things considered. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and, and we, we get a, a nice little denouement of 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 fee and her dad talking and and why he keeps reaching out to her and why she seems to be so not special but why why things keep seem to keep happening to her and it's it's basically well you know your your mom and your brother have memories of me they can see me in their dreams and their remembrances but you were three you don't have that so this was my way of reaching out to you to give you a memory. It's it's a really sweet sentiment because we have been given even the these inform uh, the, the information from these these episodes that we watched that you know it's come out that that Fee's dad was also very much into the weird and supernatural. And which, even even earlier in this episode, Fee and her mom are are having a conversation, and and her mom says something about how. You know, whenever he would say something that she couldn't understand or didn't want to accept, he would get this look on his face and that she looked just like him in that moment. And it was very, very yeah. sweet and Th nice. This has this has some very, very strong character writing this episode. I, honestly, everything about this episode, with the exception of, you know, it it tries to tie everything up in ways that it really can't because of the real life circumstances around the show. I, I think I think a lot of fans do kind of look at this as a series finale in a lot of ways mm. because they, ba they recast the show. Well, they don't recast fee, but she basically, you know, pieces out at the beginning of the, the third season. First episode, they show a new girl who also sings. So it's just a lot of people mostly talk about the first two seasons and it, it might be worth kind of giving the third season, uh, maybe a proper look-see. I, I, I have plenty of time, so I probably will. 
But I do like the that that the dad hints that there is there there is weird things going on. There are dark things going on. It's dangerous for her to even be talking to him right now. And he seems to have kind of fended off this three-headed hooded demon creature uh, for the time being. And so as he's fading away, as they say their their goodbyes, so they have a proper chance to meet, you know, Fee's kind of giving them a rundown when Jack and, and uh, Aunt Rachel come in of, you know, being okay. And there's a cool scene where the dad puts his hand on Jack's shoulder and you see that he feels something. But they don't show it. a they don't show any recognition, but he feels something. It's a really well done scene because he kind of smiles. This nice reassuring smile. And I liked that because Jack still is the skeptic. And yes. it leaves it open, at least for the third season, to have him continue to be the skeptic. But it also there's this comforting feeling that you he probably can't articulate and I, I i like showing that i thought it was very very well done i agree i like that moment quite a bit and that's one of those things that knowing what happens after this makes, makes it bittersweet <laughs> makes me furious so do you want to do you want to know the original this episode that was reshot because one it was they said it was darker but also because uh fee was leaving the show I would like to know this, yes. So the original ending of Twin was that Fee's dad saves her from getting knocked off the roof, and then, before the creature returns, tells her that, sh that she's on a mission, that it is and always has been her destiny to keep evil from entering our world, and she must continue. He also tells her that the evil killed him before his time. The creature then returns, and Rick shoves Fee out of the way. Rick and the creature fall off the building, struggling, and disappear into the ground, apparently never to be seen again. The idea was A, to make, think, to make Fee think she'd never see her father again, and B, to give a signal that her mission was much larger than just finding weird stuff, that there was a bigger picture. So the dark writing was that her father basically sacrifices himself to save Fee. Again, that could have been so cool. It, it would have been so, so cool. cool because apparently... They were they will they would be able to get him in some sort of physical form at some point. The plan was to kind of have him kind of veering in and out with and this is what the series finale was supposed to be is that uh Fee is supposed to take on the evil. She's supposed to go to hell to rescue her dad's soul and bring him back out into the real world. <sighs> and I just I cannot see Disney at that time saying, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll let that happen. If they said no to alcohol, they're definitely saying no. Unbelievable. Yeah, but I, I yeah, it, it is a it is a massive bummer, and this is really not to to talk trash on you know Alex Johnson who replaced uh, Fee. I mean, she was called in to do a job, and she did it very well. She is she's honestly have made a solid career for herself. She's a pretty good musician. Like I got, I honestly have nothing against her. I had some friends when I told them, "Hey, the more you're doing so weird," kind of angrily asking if we were covering episodes with her character. And I, the thing about it is, even though I've been disparaging about the third season because it it it's a clear effort to just make everything line up with what they were doing. They're even Stevens, Lizzie McGuire, just to make it a nice goofy show about a couple, uh, and, you know. And, and that's where the the 
anger that I mentioned at the top of the show is if you click on so weird and Disney plus the key art that is shown behind the episodes is the key art from the cast shot from season three. That's got all of these characters that I know with Jack and Molly and, and, and Squatch and all of these things. And this super petite blonde girl that looks super Disneyfied, which was Mm -hmm. not the show as I watched it. And that apparently people were real upset about that on. Oh yeah. When it came to Disney plus. And and people get kind of angry every time there's a conversation about season three with one of the executive producers, because the stuff they wanted to do was very out there. Like they had this whole plan for Jack that he was supposed to be a reincarnated knight who chose to be Fee's brother because he knew that she would need protection from the evil. Like what? <laughs> um, well, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, and there's just other little tidbits. Again, go go and check out the, the website and the podcast. Like the, the little tidbits, and I think this would have made an episode better, is in Banshee, apparently the original plot that Disney – I think next was that in order to save her grandfather from dying, Fee was going to trade years of her own life. Uh, a little too dark for Disney. Yeah, I, w- I would think it's pretty, it's pretty rough. But again, like this, this show did do stuff a little bit different. I think that's why it has such a loyal fan base from the fans that it has retained for over 20 years and why there was a resurgence in activity amongst them. Once Disney plus announced, yeah, we got so weird. And yeah, it is annoying that that's the main artwork is season three, but the fact that they have all three seasons all in order, that that's fantastic. Yeah. Like if, if you, if you're like me, if you like, are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps and eerie Indiana, if you like young adult horror stuff, which there needs to be more of, I wish that somebody was making shows like this today (laughs) because nobody is. I mean, there have been a couple attempts in movies, and I appreciate that, but nothing quite like this. And I, like again, it's just this has always been my comfort food. This is what I was really looking forward to having the time to sit down with, while you know everything's crazy and we're we're stuck at home. Is just kind of put on some old stuff that always made me feel good watching, and and this show definitely does. But it's a really solid show that I think deserves a second look it deserves a second chance i wish disney would be able to do something with it since they're wanting to do something with everything else they have (laughs) Uh, and there was rumors for the longest time that uh, a tv movie was planned to kind of put everything out no one's ever confirmed it but there there were rumors and i yeah i just i just want more people to, to give this show a shot it's it's a lot of fun. It, I think in terms of being on the Disney Channel and as ambitious and really, when I say dark, I'm not talking. It's not the darkest thing in the world, but for the Disney Channel, it's a pretty dark, mature show. I mean, think and, about every Disney Channel show you've ever heard of before, and then imagine a child dying. Yeah, like, compared to that, so Raven, this is the god in terms of maturity. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I I had a blast going back through these episodes. I hope you had fun too, Drew. I did. It was it was an interesting experience that, you know, I would in, be interested in going back and watching some more episodes. It's it's tough knowing that where I want the show to go yes. is not where the show is going to go. 
but it's also like I've rewatched Firefly a million times. Yeah, that makes M- maybe story. Now, Firefly had comics, so and, and a movie. So we there is some solace to be had there. If I if I really want more, I can get it, even if it's not quite what I want. And sa- sadly, so we just does not have that yet. I, I'm hoping that maybe the right people are going to rediscover this show and have the same experience and maybe be in a position to do something about it. I know that uh, the main actress, Kara uh, uh, Del- Delicia, she retired altogether. Um, and she's, I think, like working with like Haitian orphans or something like she's huh. she's doing a good work in the world. Like, so I I, I, I can't be like selfish, like, well, you got to come back and play fee. <laughs> you know, she's <laughs> she's doing real life changing stuff. And I I think it's really cool. Like a lot. It's I, w- I went down this rabbit hole of looking up a lot of old Disney stars while doing this. And while there are some, you know, the typical story, a lot of those kids went on to be regular, normal people quit acting and have done really cool things. And some of them are are uh, Ryan Reynolds' brother-in-law. So, who? Eric Lively, who played Carrie Bell, the brother of Clue Bell, is brothers of Blake Lively, Ryan Reynolds' wife. No way! Yes, I did not realize that. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, next, this is usually where we tell you exactly what's going to happen next week. For the more you nerd, however, we we're not quite sure yet. We have plans for an episode, regardless. But as I said last week, we had initially wanted this to be scheduled for a video game month with indie developers that we met at PAX East. Obviously, a lot of that did fall apart. However, with everything starting to kind of not calm down, but people kind of know what they're doing a little bit more now. We've had some people reach out, so we might be able to do something fun and interesting for next week's yeah, episode. We just can't confirm anything yet. Right. So I, I, I do hate leaving with a what's not what's happening next week being kind of a mystery. We do have an episode planned. And if if it happens not to, to happen, we have something that we are going to do in research. So don't worry. It's not going to affect the quality of our show. And, you know, that 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 email box, it's still, you know, it's still got cobwebs in it i would love to hear from some of you guys you know what what are your comfort food items to consume during all of this what did you think about so weird have you gone back and watched it you know what do you think about the new format of the show just anything send us send us an email at the more you nerd at gmail.com hit us up on the more you nerd at oh well at the more you nerd on twitter uh our facebook page is back open so if you want to head over to the facebook of the more you nerd you can, but just reach out to us. We'd love to engage with some of you guys again. It's been a long time. And I know that we had some people like asking us, you know, hey, what are you guys up to during our absence? So so come out of the woodwork. Talk to us. Yeah, we're friendly. Yeah. We like you guys. So uh, until next time, we will end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd, nerd. out. out.